Starting in July 2018, the presence of probable carcinogens in active ingredients used by the manufacturers of some angiotensin receptor blockers, or ARBs, led to the voluntary recall of 20 products. The recalls have raised questions about the regulation of drug manufacturing in the global marketplace and the readiness of health systems to respond to this kind of large-scale drug recall. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Brian Bird, an Assistant Professor of Internal Medicine at the University of Michigan Medical School. Dr. Bird has co-authored a perspective article about the ARB recalls and their implications. Dr. Bird, can you start by telling us a bit about the timeline of these recalls? Beginning in July of 2018, the FDA began to recall specific products. As you mentioned, at the time that we published this less than a month ago, 20 individual recalls had occurred of different products. And in fact, three additional recalls have occurred in the interim. So this is a very fast moving story. And there could be a sense if you look at the uh, timeline as of today that there's some acceleration. But there has been a drip, drip, drip nature to this. So the timeline was of interest to us and actually was the first thing that we put together as we began to write this perspective. So the identified impurities arose during manufacture of the ingredients at two factories, at least in the initial 20 recalls, at two factories in China and India. How did the FDA detect the impurities and then trace the problem back to those facilities? As hard as I've looked at this, I haven't been able to get an absolutely definitive answer to that question. I would say that we've written this from the perspective of clinicians who know a lot about high blood pressure, but we're not insiders to the process of regulation. So we're privy only to the documents that have been published by the European Medicines Agency, FDA, and others who have a special perspective in terms of being able to see documents that we may not have access to. And it's a little unclear to me exactly how that happened. What the FDA said at one point was that they became aware of this. So the exact nature of the initial discovery is a little bit unclear in my mind. And what about the probable carcinogens? What's known about them, the ones that have been identified in these products? So there are three probable carcinogens that have been identified by the FDA. These are in a category of compounds known as nitrosamines. Nitrosamines are known for having potent genotoxic effect, meaning that they damage DNA. And in animal models, they do appear to cause cancers. The nitrosamines that have been identified by the FDA as being impurities in certain products that have been recalled include a nitrosamine called N-nitrosodimethylamine, or NDMA, another nitrosamine called N-nitroso-N-diethylamine, NDEA, and a third more recently identified impurity called N-nitroso-N-methyl-4-aminobutyric acid, or NMBA. So those are a mouthful, but the bottom line is in animal models, in reductionist systems, it's possible to show that these cause damage to DNA and they seem to increase the propensity for causing cancer. FDA has tried to estimate what the risk of a new case of cancer in a patient exposed to an angiotensin receptor blocker drug affected by these impurities is. What they had calculated is that the four years of possible exposure that they think people experienced in the United States would lead to the following calculation. If 8,000 individuals took a Valsartan dose that is at the highest end of the dosing range for the entire four years, they would expect that there would be an additional case of cancer above the background rate. But of course, these are extrapolations that are made from data that are mostly at the bench and in the lab, so a little bit difficult to be very precise, but that's the best 
estimate that they've been able to provide. So you said that you were looking at this from the point of view of a clinician. So how did health systems respond to this series of recalls, and what were the challenges for physicians who were treating patients who were taking ARBs? The issue of how health systems responded is somewhat impenetrable. It's difficult to see it from the perspective of the patient. The way I've come to see this as I've looked into the issues further is that you have manufacturers of active pharmaceutical ingredients. And increasingly, these manufacturers are making medications like valsartan and other angiotensin receptor blockers, but other drugs as well, in various countries around the world. Companies often import the active pharmaceutical ingredient to the United States, make tablets, and then those tablets may be sold to another company that distributes the tablet. So there's a rather complex supply chain leading up to a time when a pharmacy actually has a bottle with pills in it. And those pills, of course, be distributed to patients. And the patients may get a notification if there's a problem from the pharmacy. And then the physician or healthcare provider would potentially become aware of the problem, often because the patient has alerted the physician or healthcare provider that there is a problem. Prior to that point, the physician really doesn't have any insight into what products were dispensed, assuming that they're writing with substitution allowed on their prescriptions, which I think most of us do. So if I write a prescription for Losartan, I simply don't know what manufacturer's product will be dispensed at a pharmacy. So this has led, I think, to a lot of anxiety on the part of patients as they read about the recalls. They've been contacting physicians. I've certainly spoken with many physicians who have heard from patients. I've heard from patients. And they're wondering, what do, what do we do? And I don't think there's necessarily a clear one-size-fits-all answer. In some cases, it might be possible to transition people to a drug that's completely outside the angiotensin receptor blocker category, but I know of no evidence that that's necessary. It could be possible to write a prescription for a different molecule within the class of angiotensin receptor blockers. There are some molecules that have not been recalled at all, and then you could always write for the same molecule with the knowledge that we do have a rather efficient system for recalling products once there is a known problem. But the exact way that one should respond to this, unfortunately, is rather difficult to be prescriptive about. So, again, specifically at the communication, are there lessons to be learned from these recent recalls about how that communicating process could be improved, how physicians could know which formulations, which products would be uh, putting their patients at risk? I've thought about that a lot. There is an argument to be made that as long as the pharmacies are taking care of the problem, then the physician needn't know. But I don't think it's quite that simple. I think in a sense it's a luxury for the physician that the pharmacies will take care of a lot of the problems with respect to recalls because it takes some of the burden of doing that communication off of the shoulders of the physician. However, I can think of examples when I decided to prescribe a drug that I thought would be unlikely to be affected by the recalls, but it was a drug that was not very common for me to use. And I found out that, in fact, the dose that I wanted to prescribe of this rarely used angiotensin receptor blocker uh, had actually been discontinued because it wasn't popular. Then I prescribed a slightly higher dose, and it was unavailable at the pharmacy. Again, perhaps it's not a popular medication. So doctors, I think, have found themselves affected by the fact that we don't really understand the details of the supply chain, what is available, what's not available. It's not something I thought about a lot until these events occurred. 
And now I've realized that when I'm writing a prescription, I don't have as much confidence as I used to that this drug will in fact be available at the pharmacy. And I'm not exactly sure how clinicians might be able to be brought into the loop with some sort of feedback about the idea that, you know, that in theory is available, but it's not actually available locally to your patient. That, that would be very helpful, though. Is it clear that the products in this class that haven't been recalled are, in fact, safe? The latest communication that I have seen from the FDA is what some might call a whitelist of drugs, to use a term borrowed from the computer science world. A list is a list of specific manufacturers' products and doses that FDA has tested for the presence of nitrosamines. And they found no detectable level of nitrosamines in quite a few products. And in some products, they found a level that, at least for now, they consider to be acceptably safe. And they've listed all those details. The complete list of possible ARB products, I think, is a little bit less clear to me. And the problem is that as a prescriber, if I write a prescription for Losartan, for example, it's not known to me whether the pharmacy will provide my patient with a drug that is on this list of known nitrosamine-free or nearly free medications, or whether they might provide a product that has not yet been tested. I do feel very confident that they would not provide a product that has been shown to have a problem above the threshold level that the FDA has set as a threshold level for concern. But I don't know of any way to steer the pharmacy toward a specific manufacturer's product when I write that prescription unless I say no substitution allowed, which would, of course, perhaps increase the cost of the prescription by saying that it, it should only be filled by the original product, or it could also place quite a burden on the original manufacturer to supply enough product to deal with the fact that people are switching to it. So there is a lot of uncertainty there, at least in my mind. Finally, what can health systems and physicians do to better prepare for the possibility of future recalls? What kind of systemic changes do you think might be uh, useful? One of the difficulties in answering a question like that is there is a lot of regulatory infrastructure, and it's, it's somewhat difficult for somebody who's not steeped in regulatory affairs to know what the degrees of freedom are to change the way things are. So, for example, it seems intuitive to me that it might be good for there to be less a redaction in FDA documents so that more eyes can look at what is being found when warning letters are sent and that type of thing. However, this might not be permissible, actually, because there's a legal infrastructure relating to that. And FDA does bring in external expertise. So hopefully that accounts for the possibility that they should have shared something with the greater community. The best measures that clinicians can take, I think, are to familiarize themselves with the details of the recall to the extent possible. And we tried to make that easier by writing the articles that a lot of relevant information be in one place for people to read. And then be prepared for the fact that there's likely to be some shaken confidence on the part of patients, particularly if you happen to have been so unlucky as to have written a prescription to change away from the first drug recalled, Valsartan, to another drug that was later recalled. This certainly would have an impact on patients' confidence in, in how things are being done. And we have to be understanding of that, I think. And I think one of the key things that we can do on the individual level is to make sure that we're really discussing issues with our patients in a very open way that acknowledges that this is a problem and it's one that we have to take seriously 
and that calls upon us to recognize that patients have to have confidence in what we're doing. They have to feel that we're being very careful and cognizant of the potential risks to them and creating the safest path forward that we know how because obviously if we lose the confidence of the patient in our prescribing, then I think it's not really feasible or tenable to think that we're going to help the patient. Thank you, Dr. Bird.